I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 110. I'm interviewed by Captain Phil. You might wonder who is Captain Phil. Well, his full name is Phil Merkel. Uh, he's a science fiction guy. He also does a podcast and records videos and has shows on all kinds of places, including WUSB, that's University of Stony Brook radio station. And last month, that would be July 2018, Captain Phil was sitting in for the host on one of WUSB's best-known radio shows, Progressive Solutions. And he was desperate to get a guest, so, of course, he asked me. And, you know, as I've often said, I never say no to an interview, especially with someone as erudite and interesting as Captain Phil. So what you're going to hear is uh, the hour-long interview that Phil did with me last month. It's my favorite kind of interview. It talks about, I talk about, he talks about my music, my science fiction, my political views, what I have to say about Donald Trump, all kinds of exciting things. And Phil also plays two songs from my 1972 Twice Upon a Rhyme album. In fact, uh, what you're going to hear begins with Forever Friday. You don't hear that song too often. It's one of the songs on the second side of Twice Upon a Rhyme. It was written by Ed Fox, who wrote the music, and me, I wrote the lyrics. You know, I guess in some sense it was influenced by Tuesday Afternoon by the Moody Blues by the way, Tina and I just saw a fabulous concert with Justin Hayward in Tarrytown, New York. I'll put a link to my review of it on the page for this podcast episode. Anyway, I always love the Moody Blues. And Forever Friday, I guess, is influenced by that uh, song, Tuesday Afternoon, to some extent. Uh, it's an interesting recording because Ed Fox and I both sing lead in the verses and I sing lead in the choruses. We have like a violin in there, Pete Rosenthal playing a great fuzz guitar, all kinds of interesting things. And then at the end of the interview, you're going to hear Today is Just Like You. That's probably the best known song on my Twice Upon a Rhyme album. It's the lead-off song. It's been re-recorded by Sundial Symphony. That consists of Don Franklin and Robbie Rist. And just a few days ago, this past Saturday, in fact, I uh, performed Today is Just Like You with a great world music group called the Blue Dahlia in Barbas in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, we have a video up of that. I'll put a link to that video also on the Light On, Light Through podcast page for this episode. Anyway, enough introduction. Let's go right into the interview again. It will begin with Forever Friday. You'll hear from me again at the end of this interview. And that will be after Phil says a couple of words after Today is Just Like You. And 
and you're listening to Forever Friday by Paul Levinson, who's on the phone with me right now. Hello, Paul. Hey, Bill. How you doing? Good to hear that song. <laughs> I know. How cool is that, huh? Very cool. You gave me a nice list of songs, which I uh, I lost <laughs> as I was, going, life, you know? I was going on the air. So I just did a quick YouTube search, and that was the first one that came up, which was kind of cute. But I will play your recommendations um, after we're done talking here. You know what? Uh, let's start off with the song. Um, uh, Paul Levinson, you're a professor of media studies in Fordham University, Ph.D. You're also a science fiction writer who I've seen at many, many conventions over the year, but you're also a pop star. So let's start with the music before we get into the politics and then the meat and potatoes here. Um, dude, <laughs> what, was, what was going on in the 60s? How, uh, t- tell us your story and, 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 and your uh, musical uh, bibliography. Well, the thing to know about me is anytime I really love something uh, as a fan, I, I'm inevitably drawn into doing it, or at least trying to do it. So I guess one thing is it's fortunate for the world that I never loved nuclear physics or quantum mechanics, because I probably would have blown the universe out of existence. But like most people uh, my age, at least that's what I think, I never did a survey, uh, I loved rock and roll, Buddy Holly, Alan Freed, Murray the K. This was like in the late 50s. I was like 11, 12 years old. And, and the best thing uh, in my life, at least culturally, was any time I could uh, listen to and soon sing and then after that compose any kind of rock and roll or rock music. So uh, the first expression of that uh, started yeah, like you know late 50s early 60s I was uh, in several groups uh, the, the, the most corny of which was Little Levy and the Emeralds. That way, oh, I yeah. love that. That's... This is like late 60s. Actually, yeah. there's a guy by the name of Joel Iskowitz, who's now a world-renowned artist, and we've reconnected on Facebook, and he remembers that group because he was in my fifth and sixth grade class. But by the, by the mid-60s, uh, like just about everyone else, I progressed to a combination of a more folky sound, a more Beatles sound. Uh, I began writing uh, more serious uh, lyrics. Uh, and uh, the song that you played, Forever Friday, was from uh, an album that I did back then, back then being from about 1969 to 1972. It took three years to record this album. That was because I've always been a cheapskate, and I didn't want to go into a recording studio and pay, you know, whatever the prices were per hour, usually, you know, anywhere from $100 or more. Uh, so I worked out deals with various recording studios uh, all over the New York area where they they let me and my group come in like at 2, 3 in the morning when they didn't have anybody else and let us use the studio for a couple of hours. And so little by little, we uh, put together an album. The deal, by the way, was that when the album sold a million records, we would pay them back. Uh, <laughs> alas, that never happened. <laughs> so... Uh, and, you know, uh, by the mid-70s, what had happened was I had sort of slightly shifted from making music to writing about music. That happened because, I guess actually in 1971, there was a really nasty review of one of Paul McCartney's solo albums by a music critic by the name of Robert Christgau. Uh, then and ever more of the most dyspeptic, music critic I've ever come across. And I, you know, I love McCartney, so I, I wrote a letter to the editor. Uh, and much to my amazement and sheer delight, about two weeks later, uh, I get a, a contract and a check for $65 in the mail. I said, what's this? And I, I look at the letter and says, hey, Mr. Levinson, we really liked your letter. We, we hope it's okay with you to publish it as an actual article. And uh, that started me r- really writing professionally, and I gradually moved away from music, although I still you know, occasionally record a song. And as a matter of fact, apropos of Long Island, which uh, I know is you know where Stony Brook is, there was a con, L.I. con, yeah. about, I don't know, three or four years ago, right? It was yep. like sort of filling yep. in the gap for Icon. And I, and I actually did a concert with one of 
our original guitarist Pete Rosenthal. So if you look for it on YouTube, the, the I, sound is atrocious, but uh, that, that's me singing. Yeah, just a couple in, of years ago. in the Ron, in the old Ron Conkama Holiday Inn um, on Veterans Highway, yeah, L.I. Khan started there, and uh, L.I. Khan's coming back. They're in a better hotel now. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad they're coming back. Yes, you didn't kill the convention, Paul. That's <laughs> the one convention I haven't yet killed. But I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> and um but yeah i saw that video as well and i was like oh he was that but you had to have attended icon as well back in the heyday yes. here on stony brook campus what was the last icon you attended you know i don't remember the date i remember um Ron, ronald moore was the ah. honor so what was that maybe 2010 that was fantastic convention yeah it yes was. it yeah, really that it. was one of the yeah ron moore had had been given the iconosphere award which right. is was icon's clever way to get somebody di very difficult to get to come to a convention right. <laughs> to give them an award and that's how they got how we got all these you know these huge media personalities to show up uh to accept this award and ron um, was was a great guest. He came on the radio. He did a spectacular uh, shift on the radio with uh, Dr. Howard Margolin for Destiny's mm -hmm. The Voice of Science Fiction, and it was it was it was a great night. It was it was just a, a magnificent night. I'll never forget it. And and uh, well, you 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 as media studies, you that was in between seasons three and four of Battlestar Galactica, I believe. So the night. The convention ended Sunday night. Was when we got the season three cliffhanger. Uh -huh. I, I, no, no, wait, no, no, no. That was I'm I'm, I'm messing up my ears. That was when Jamie Bamber was here. Never mind. Right. Dis disregard that. Okay. Anyway, what I'm trying to say in as many words as humanly possible is <laughs> that Ron Moore was a great guest. <laughs> he was. He was I had a good conversation with him. I ran into him in the hall in that atrocious hotel. So. Oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't that bad a hotel, by the way? I've been in much worse. Uh, no, no. Uh, no one died from food poisoning or anything like that, as far as I know. That year. <laughs> yeah, that, okay, right. So we're going to play, after we come out of our discussion here, we're going to play a little more of your music after this, and we'll talk that up um, when we get near the end. But before we get into um, Helsinki, uh, talk up your, 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 your a world-renowned uh, science fiction author. You have many books uh, to your credit. Um, what's your current uh, book that's out right now? Well, uh, my most recent is actually an anthology, which I know is like the kiss of death, but it's an anthology, but, but not for me, at least so far so good. Uh, it's called Peter Brown Called. And apropos of music, you know, the Battle of John and Yoko, Peter yep. Brown Called to say. Anyway, so all my life, apropos of what I was uh, telling you before, I, I've loved, you know, two things culturally, music and science fiction. And uh, a fair number of my science fiction novels and short stories have a musical theme. And at the same time, some of my lyrics uh, are science fiction. For example, uh, Alpha Centauri, a song I wrote with the guitarist who was at L.I. Icon, Pete Rosenthal, another song, Tor Seti, another song, If I Travel to the Past. Anyway, to make a long story short, a few months ago I decided to put them all together uh, into an anthology called Peter Brown Called. And, um, you know, I'm getting some really good uh, response to it. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing I would mention is I'm about a third way finished on a brand new novel with brand new characters on a completely different theme. I don't want to talk too much more about it. I don't want to give anything away, but uh, that should be finished in about six or seven months, and I'm looking forward to that. And also, um, some of your other books include uh, The Silk Code, uh, which right. won um, the Locus Award for Best First Science Fiction Novel in 1999. And I find this interesting, um, The Plot to Save Socrates and Unburning Alexandria. And um, talk a little bit about those three books. Yeah, and actually, uh, on The Silk Code, that uh, was the first uh, appearance in novel form of my New York City forensic detective character, Dr. Phil D'Amato. He had appeared previously in three novelettes, all published in analog, the first of which was is the chronology protection case. There is at this moment up on Amazon Prime, so anyone with Amazon Prime can see this totally free, a low-budget but high-concept short movie, about 40 minutes, the chronology protection case made by a guy out in California, Jay Kensinger, 
which actually that has an icon connection because the first public place that was shown was at icon in 2002 and then in 2013 i i never loved the ending of the movie which wasn't exactly the ending of the story so i talked to jay about it and we expanded the ending into something else and came out with a revised version of, of that uh, little movie in 2013 it's doing very well on amazon prime now the plot to save socrates uh is actually part of a trilogy the plot to save socrates unburning alexandria and chronica right and right and as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm in talks now with someone who might be interested in making a movie of it. I mean, that in itself, as hard as it is to get uh, anything published as a novel or a short story, it's a hundred times harder to get it made into a movie. And over the years, I've actually had the plot to save Socrates optioned a few times. Uh, but uh, I, I, uh, I'm sure that sooner or later, someday, there will be uh, a movie made. It, it, that is based, again, on, you know, everything gets back to how obviously how I feel and you know what I think I remember as a kid when I first came across uh, the story in the Crito that here is Socrates he's sentenced to death he sentenced to drink hemlock which is like a horrible way to die you writhe in agony and uh, according to the story in the Crito a good friend of his Crito came to see him the night before he was supposed to be executed and says hey Socrates I bribed the jailer we have a boat out there in the harbor and the Piraeus, we have your wife and kids, let's get on this boat, we'll take you to Thebes or wherever, and you can continue trashing uh, the Athenian government. And according to the story there that Plato tells us, Socrates says, oh no, I might criticize the government, but I would never put myself above it and defy their death sentence. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, had someone made an offer like that to me, I would have been out of there in a New York minute. I wouldn't have yeah. even thought twice. I don't know, maybe he didn't want to be with his wife anymore. So, okay, so take me someplace else. But uh, So that had been bothering me for God knows how many decades. And in the plot to save Socrates, I finally tell the story, my actual hypothesis as to why Socrates turned down that, that excellent uh, offer. It got great reviews, you know, in Entertainment Weekly, in the Daily News, I mean, not just the usual science fiction places. So uh, I had the sequel, Unburning Alexandria. That is another thing that's always, you know, sort of haunted me that, uh, you know, according to history, uh, the ancient library of Alexandria was burned at least three times. As many as 750,000 uh, manuscripts were consumed in those flames, many of them unique copies. And as a matter of fact, we have several lists of Aristotle's work, uh, and uh, by most estimates, all that we actually have of his work in hand, in contrast to all the titles that are on those lists, are anywhere from, you know, uh, a third to a little less than a half. So we've lost more than half of Aristotle's works. And who knows who, who else we lost? I mean, my luck, if I had lived in the ancient world, I guarantee you, all of my books would have been there. They're, they didn't sell that well. There wouldn't have been that many copies. They would have been consumed in the fire, too. So, uh, I wrote, so the heroine in, in, on, in the plot to save Socrates, Sierra Waters, um, I had a lot of fun writing her because it's fun writing the gender that you're not. And, you know, my wife and daughter say, hey, you, know, you did a pretty good job, uh, you know, seeing things how, uh, in a way a woman would. She's a graduate student uh, when the plot to save Socrates starts. But uh, she, uh, in a burning Alexandria, she attempts to save some of those uh, manuscripts. And I won't tell you what happens, but uh, there was enough left unresolved that it cried out for yet another sequel, which was Chronica. What I'll tell you about that is it begins um, with uh, our time travelers, you know, arriving in the uh, 2020s and thinking back on the presidency of Joe Biden, who was president from 2008 to 2016. So there's a little bit of an alternate history there. And I, I would so. say so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we get into politics, what's the best place to purchase your books online? Should we go to your website or is it better to go to Amazon? What is your website, Paul? Uh, do you sell the books through that? 
Uh, no, I sell everything through Amazon because in the long run, that makes Amazon put it higher up in their lists or whatever. So just do a search on my name, uh, uh, Amazon. You'll find my author's page, and everything you need to know about all my books is there. The other thing I would suggest is follow me on Twitter, at Paul Lev, P-A-U-L-L-E-V, because... Uh, I talk about everything on Twitter, including surprise, surprise, my new books, my old books, my short stories, all that stuff. And also a, a blog, which is not just politics and science fiction books, but uh, other other media, other movies. Uh, Paul uh, Levinson at dot blogspot dot com, and the name of your blog is Paul Levinson's Infinite Regress. That's correct. And actually, you can reach it even faster by paullevinson.net. paullevinson.net, and spell it like it sounds, L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N, um, right. and just do a Google search on that, and you will get the whole package. You will get Paul Levinson, the musician. You will get Paul Levinson, the author, and Paul Levinson, um, the Fordham professor and, and uh, commentator. So let's, let's get into this, Paul. Uh, what just happened yesterday? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, you know, first of all, there have been a lot of explanations for it. You know, Trump is being blackmailed by Putin because they, they have some tapes of him and the Russian prostitutes. Or Trump is just, you know, flat out stupid and clueless. Or, and or Trump is grateful that the Russians helped him uh, in some way win the election. Uh, I, I, all of those might be true to some extent, but I think the, the most serious explanation and the most dangerous explanation, and the one that I find really the most worrisome, is, is I think Trump has an affinity for dictators. I think Trump hates democracy. That's why he has such contempt for our allies, for Canada, for England, uh, for the EU, uh, because he sees those people in power as just, hey, they got elected, they could be swept away in the next election, and Trump knows that he himself could be uh, lose the next election, which I certainly hope happens. But when he looks at someone like Putin, or he looks at the North Korean leader, or he looks at the Chinese leader, or even he looks at the Turkish uh, president, uh, Erdogan. Uh, what Trump sees is someone who has somehow managed in this world, you know, we're no longer in the Middle Ages, we're no longer in the ancient world, we're no longer, you know, in the fascist 1930s, you know, with Hitler and Mussolini and, and the communists, you know, and Stalin. Here we are in 2018. And those guys are in power forever. You know, the Chinese uh, premier president, wherever his title is, he just pushed something through. He's going to be there forever. He's not even uh, pretending to have an election. And Putin goes through the motions of having an election, but everyone knows, you know, the election is, is rigged. There's no way anyone's going to beat Putin. And Trump loves that. He's, he's said that. He said, hey, I wish I could be like those guys. And that's extremely worrisome because, you know, I know that comparisons to Hitler are overused, but, you know, Hitler uh, and the Nazi parties, party uh, achieved a plurality in the election in uh, the Weimar Republic, uh, the Weimar Republic in the early 1930s. They were democratically elected. And one of the first things Hitler did is he set out to uh, destroy the press. He, he set out uh, to shame his enemies. He lashed out, uh, and worse, uh, at minorities uh, that, that he felt didn't uh, attain the Aryan ideal, even though he himself looked nothing like the Aryan ideal. And uh, Trump is doing all those things uh, here in the United States and around the world. So... I, you know, I'm not the kind of person who worries all that much. I mean, we survived Nixon. Uh, I, I think it is actually good if we get along better with Russia, you know. Uh, but what I really am concerned about is we have this guy in office who I think hates democracy. And I think that he is the most dangerous person ever to have been uh elected, uh, in his case, by the Electoral College. He lost the popular vote, but what can we do? You know, the Constitution specifies that's the Electoral College that uh, selects the president. Uh, and uh, until uh, he's voted out of office, or at least until the Democrats get a majority in the Senate, we're going to be in very, very perilous 
interest rates, and that's happening just about every day. What happened in Helsinki is, is just the latest. I find it interesting that so many um, on the far right have come out um, speaking against uh, the president. Um, so far, it's been, you know, they, they love him, you know, and they've been, or, or they've been trying to work with him as much as possible. They've been riding this, um, what, 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 was, what was the song by Mountain, the Nantucket Sleigh Ride? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> is that a good way to put it? Yes, it is. Well, I think, look, Republicans, like any other party, they're happy to be in power. They were clearly chasing, to say the least, under Obama. And they were thrilled, even though many of them, you know, actually uh, attacked Trump severely during the election. But they were thrilled to the core to have a Republican in the White House. And I think they're slowly uh, seeing how dangerous that is. But just to be clear, I think traditional Republicans are horrified by, by what happened in Helsinki. We, you know, here the President of the United States condemns our intelligence service you know, cuddling up to the uh, Russian president. But my guess is Trump's hardcore supporters, who didn't support him because he was a Republican, they supported him because they're racist, they, uh, they're basically people who are profoundly dissatisfied with their lives, they thought the government needed to be shaken up. A lot of those people still support him. Fortunately, they were not a majority, certainly not a majority uh, in just the popular vote. And, uh, you know, to the extent that Trump won in the Electoral College because he had a combination of support from those people, from these, you know, r racists, from these bigoted people uh, you know, who hate anyone who's not a, a, an Anglo-white American, to the extent that Trump won because he had a combination of support from those people and traditional Republicans, you know, like, the, like you know, the, the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Um, to the extent that that is diminishing because traditional Republicans are slowly peeling off, I think that does give us more hope uh, for 2018 and 2020, but we're still a long way off. And uh, look, the, the president has an enormous amount of power. And, uh, you know, what would happen now, and several people have mentioned this, uh, you know, Putin has already gobbled up Crimea. He's doing his best to take over uh, Ukraine. What, what would Trump do if Putin just went in and gobbled up Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, which traditionally were part of the Soviet Union, part of that huge complex? Um, I don't know, and I have a feeling he wouldn't do much. He, he you know, I, it's it's impossible to say what motivates him in foreign policy. So, uh, you know, the world could uh, to, could get into much worse shape. By the way, about the only thing that Trump has said that I like, apropos of what you were talking about with your first guest, is he's, uh, he's in favor of a more robust space program. So uh, if I could control the world and pull all the strings, I would say to Trump, okay, just focus on the space program, don't do anything else, and then we'll vote you out of office. But of course, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of amazing to, to the the opinions and everything is twisting in the wind and it's and and I don't I don't comprehend the motivation here. I mean, I I know there's got to be a lot of skeletons in Trump's closet that he won't release his financial records. I know his finances are tied to Russia, so there's that. Um, I don't think he cares if if there are pictures of him doing bizarre pornographic things with prostitutes in Russia because he does you know he was fine with with the with the things he said being sent out on tape he said these things and it didn't matter so I don't think that's going to matter I think it matters when it's a Democrat when something like that happens but when it happens with a Republican uh, you know or Trump um, who probably couldn't even be counted as a Republican at this point. Um, I don't think it really matters. It just seems like whoever comes in after him, be be they Republican or Democrat, won't have to do anything. They won't have to. They they can have a really filthy background, and they won't have to release their tax returns. I mean, has the game changed forever, Paul? After this yes. president? Yeah, but I'll tell you something. This might 
you know, <laughs> come as a surprise. Uh, that actually, I think, is a good thing. And what I mean by that is, here's just one example. Gary Hart uh, was running uh, for president, I think it was in 1988. He was running in the Democratic primary. He was a very, very bright guy. He was Kennedy-esque. And uh, as some of uh, our listeners may recall, he was knocked out of the primary because he was flaunting the press, saying, hey, you think I'm having an affair? Prove it. And they followed him, and he was sleeping with some woman who's not his wife on some boat. He admitted it. He dropped in the polls. That was it. The, the Democrats nominated Michael Dukakis, who was slaughtered in the election uh, by George H.W. Bush. And I wrote a piece back then, and it's reprinted in one of my, another one of my anthologies. This is of my nonfiction called Electronic Chronicles. The piece that I wrote back then was called Can Only Angels Be President? And it, it made the point that I think that we should judge our politicians when they run for office, not what they do or don't do in their private lives, but what their positions are and, and what they've done in the public sphere. And, of course, as is well known, look, I was a kid uh, when I was like 13 years old when John F. Kennedy was elected. And he was only around, as we know, for three years. Uh, but I think, you know, I'm a pretty arrogant person. I was pretty arrogant back then. I think I was a pretty good judge of what kind of president Kennedy was back then. He changed the country. He galvanized the country. It was thrilling just to hear him get on television and talk. And the things that he did, again, getting back to the space program, he even, by the way, tried for a rapprochement with the Soviet Union. He gave a speech at American University shortly before he was assassinated, saying, you know, we've never been at war with Russia or the Soviet Union. Maybe we ought to get out of and over this Cold War. So I think he was a great president. Uh, and, you know... After his assassination and in the years ahead, it turns out he had affairs with everyone and their grandmother. So, you know, uh, but my point is, who cares? And, and we love you know? him. We actually love him for that. That's right. So, you know, if one of the things of the Trumpian era is that somebody can run for political office and it doesn't matter what they do in their private life, I think that's actually a healthy thing for democracy. Well, it would give us a lot more time to talk about uh, real political issues instead of digging up dirt on everybody because, I mean, it's, it's been going back and forth, you know, and, and all the indiscretions. You know, the Clinton is continuously dragged through the mud. The only, I don't believe... I don't believe there's ever been that issue with the Obamas. Am I correct? Has there ever been? No. I mean, I, who knows? But, I mean, as far as I know, well, no. But, I mean, either if, if there have been, it's been kept very secret. Yeah. And, you know, as far as Clinton is concerned, look, that's a complicated thing. She was, you know, an intern in the White House. Uh, that, to some extent, is abusive. But, on the other hand, if I remember correctly, she's the one who came on to him Right, there was a Barbara Walters interview where she was like snapping her thongs while he was sitting behind his desk in the Oval Office. She was an adult. So, uh, you know, interestingly, Clinton was uh, impeached because uh, he, he lied. Um, but you know what? I said back then, and I still think, if someone asks you a question that they have no proper business asking you, it's perfectly fine to lie to them. And, and uh, in general, no, it's not good to lie. But I always thought it was absurd that Clinton was impeached for lying uh, about whether or not he had sex with Monica Lewinsky. It was nobody's business. It was Bill Clinton's business. It was Hillary Clinton's business. She, you know, she wasn't as married to him. It was Monica Lewinsky's business. But that, that's exactly what I mean. These, these uh, personal you know, escapades... As you correctly said, what they do is they get in the way of our being able to seriously consider what a person's political activities are. You know, are they helping people? Are they hurting people? And so on. Yeah, and, and I'm so glad you brought up Gary Hart. I mean, it, 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 he seems like a Boy Scout now. That's right. He's had to fail the woman on a boat. Hey. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I just, I'm just, you know, I, I'm like, I, I miss Gary Hart. <laughs> like, I know. He, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bright guy. He was a bright guy. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Progressive Solutions with your fill-in host, Captain Phil. And we will have our regular host returning to these airwaves uh, starting next week. 
And uh, it's coming up on 1 o'clock here on WUSB Stony Brook, 90.1 FM, and W297BM Stony Brook, 107.3. And we're on the air with Paul Levinson, professor at Fordham University, author of many great science fiction books that you can pick up by going to Amazon.com and looking up the words Paul Levinson. And also a great musician from back in the day and a, a political commentator, a teacher of media studies at Fordham University. Paul, people are throwing around the word traitor with reckless abandon right now. Um, is this tra- is this treason? And by the way, Paul, uh, the the former title of this show that I'm, that we're on right now um, used to be called "If This Be Treason." So, Paul, okay. was that treason? <laughs> no, I don't think it was, and I think we do have to be careful. You know, when we use hyperbole, because what then that does is it weakens uh, the impact of the word when it's really called for. I think what Trump did was awful. I think what Trump did was un-American. It was the worst performance I've seen in, in my life on television or any place of a president. But I don't think it's treason. Uh, I define treason not as complimenting an enemy, not as sidling up to an enemy, uh, but as giving someone we are in an active war with, giving that uh, enemy some information which can result in loss of American lives. for the same reason, you know, all the WikiLeaks stuff, and, you know, there was talk about, uh, um, what's that guy's name? I can't, you know, just, uh, he, he basically left the United States and he's now in Moscow. I saw him at Bard. Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot his name too, but yeah. the, the, the head of WikiLeaks, yeah. You know no, what, no, you... not the head of WikiLeaks, it's Julian Assange. This is the guy who actually worked uh, in some kind of intelligence agency in the U.S. and then, you know, gave, you know, gave WikiLeaks some information and then took up. I can even see his face. Uh, but anyway, people are saying that he committed treason. And, um, you know, Obama was president then, and I remember the Secretary of Defense said, no, I don't consider this treason, because, again, he didn't give information to anyone that we were at war with. And, you know, treason is punishable by death. Uh, It's a very, very serious offense, to say the least. And uh, you you can say uh, correctly that Trump performed abysmally as president. Uh, I think he deserves to be impeached for all kinds of reasons, but uh, not because he committed treason yesterday in Helsinki. You weren't talking about Chelsea Manning, were you? No, not Chelsea Manning. There was one other guy... uh, Bernard? No, I can't. I just can't think of his name. Yeah, I'm just doing a Google I mean, search. I can look at look at if, if you Google uh, WikiLeaks, his name will come up after Julian Assange. Chelsea Manning was first. Uh, this guy was second. Chelsea Manning, I think, was in a, eventually sentenced to a U.S. prison, and he was released. She was released. Um, this guy is still overseas, and people were saying he, you know, some Republicans were saying he, he committed treason. But, uh, and let's talk about, while I'm looking this up, let's talk about, because um, we only have a couple of minutes left sure. here. I know you have another interview. You're a very popular man, Paul Evanson. <laughs> I try to do as much damage as possible. You know? Well, well, thank you. <laughs> 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 um, is what the Soviet Union, I'm Soviet, excuse me, is what Russia uh, is being accused of? Uh, some people are saying, Everybody does this. Everybody tries to influence elections. Uh, you know, um, I'm I'm reading that. Well, you know, the United States influences elections, and and no one's going after that. But I believe, um, and I see the phone is ringing here. But I'm, I'm not taking phone calls. But I'd be happy to talk to anybody uh, off the air. Um, once I'm off mic, I'd be able to take phone calls at about one uh, fifteen or so. So if you'd like to call back, I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, my phone is. You're very popular, Paul. <laughs> uh, but I'm just not not set up to do that right now. Um, but I'd be very happy to, to to even maybe even bring you on the air. Um, um, but uh, but I'll have to wait till after one fifteen. Um, but what I was saying was, is it is it something where you know? We're talking about indictments, and they say, you know, they can indict a ham sandwich. 
I mean, are these serious things the Russians are being accused of, or is this just something that's being pumped out of out of proportion? Because I just find it weird that we're we're defending a foreign country and 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 the accusations are are serious. They may not be, you know, really really opening shot of a war or anything level serious, but they seem to be to me very serious. What what say you on that? Well, first of all, in response to the first part of your question, I don't know anything for a fact because I don't, I'm not inside the government, but my understanding is that the U.S. interferes in elections all the time. And one of the reasons why uh, the Iranian revolution happened is that uh, we, this is back in the 1950s, set up the Shah, we, the American CIA, set up the Shah in office. Uh, because we didn't like uh, whoever was in power in Iran before that, and the Iranians apparently didn't like it either. So, uh, you know, I think that our CIA does this all the time, and in that sense, what Russia is accused of doing isn't any different. However, that doesn't mean that we have to accept it. Certainly, we shouldn't be happy about it, and certainly we should try to prevent it as, as you know, as strongly as we can, which makes uh, Trump's attitude towards this, uh, you know, very disturbing. Uh, that said, though, and again, I don't know anything firsthand, but absent evidence that what Russia did was literally change vote totals, and for all I know, they did. But again, I don't know that they did. But absent evidence of that, I don't think the Russians are responsible for Trump uh, winning the election. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, there were people... Look, it was heartbreaking. I remember what it was like on that November evening in 2016. I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe, you know, Florida goes to Trump. I remember James Carville was saying when Virginia just barely went to Hillary, Carville was very upset because he said, look, are you kidding? You know, the, the, the vice president, uh, the vice presidential nominee, uh, is a, a Virginian. And if even he can't carry his state by a landslide, Hillary's in trouble. And Pennsylvania went for Trump. And then those Midwestern states. Look, I, I went out there, uh, to, uh, Grand Rapids a few months ago. I gave a talk about one of my books, Fake News in Real Context. And, uh, I was talking a lot about Trump and, you know, how disturbed I was about Trump and the, the, analogy I made earlier to you between Trump and Hitler, and I said, look, you know, uh, I'm sure some of you in this audience are to blame. You know, you, you voted for Trump, because this was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I said, but don't worry, uh, you know, I won't hold it against you. But, but the point is, uh, people voted for Trump. Uh, and yes, you know, everything the Russians, you know, did online, stirring things up, I'm sure that that uh, had some effect, but um, there's something deeper in the reason that, uh, and yes, Hillary, of course, won the popular vote by almost three million votes, but she lost the Electoral College when she should have won the Electoral College by a landslide with a lunatic like Trump running. I don't think that was the result of what the Russians did. I think it was the result of something much deeper in America. A dissatisfaction with both Democrats and Republicans. That explains, by the way, why Bernie Sanders did so well in the Democratic primary. He didn't beat Hillary, but he gave her a run you know, for her money. Uh, who would have ever thought that a, an avowed socialist, uh, not even a member of the Democratic Party, would do so well? And, you know, in an odd way, that reflected the same deep dissatisfaction with government, uh, which I think the Russians stoked, but I think it existed and would have been strong in any case. Now, had the Russians done nothing, might Hillary have squeaked through in the Electoral College? Maybe. Uh, you know, it's impossible to say. I'm unhappy that the Russians did anything. But uh, I have a hard time laying Trump's election completely or mostly uh, or even in a major way on what the Russians did. 
It is going on one ten here. We're just going to start wrapping it up with uh, with uh, Paul Evanson here on WUSB Stony Brook. I forgot to mention at the start of the show that the opinions expressed here on Progressive Solutions are the opinions of the people who give them, which would be me, Captain Phil, and Paul Levinson, and not necessarily the opinions of the radio station WUSB Stony Brook, just in case that was the director calling and saying you forgot to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I thought I thought I was expressing the station's opinion. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> uh, that's funny. And uh yeah, I don't normally do political shows, Paul. Um I mean I I'm definitely a political person and I have opinions and I and I let them leak into my, my music shows and, and various shows, but I generally like to talk about progressive rock and Star Trek, you know, <laughs> which is which is my which is my meat and potatoes. Um as we wrap it up, Paul, where do we go from here? I mean uh I'm it, it seems everything has been turned upside down with what happened on Monday, but I think we're just going to, you know, the sun's going to rise and we're just going to keep moving ahead. I don't think anything's going to change. Um, do you think anything major is going to happen um, in the next couple of weeks or will Trump apologize? Um, no. Should he apologize for for um, what he said about the FBI and the CIA, and, and you know, during a foreign uh, leaders conference, I mean, I, I find that to be kind of offensive. Even even if he feels that way, could, shouldn't he have done that in private? Absolutely, he should apologize. He won't apologize. But uh, apologies like that are meaningless anyway. They're not sincere apologies. As as far as what we should be doing. There's an election in 2018. Uh, we, that is the people, I assume most sane people who are worried about Trump, I think need to do two things. We, we need to try to convince, and it's, it's going to be very tough, enough Republicans in the Senate not to uh, confirm Trump's pick for the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, it's, and, or, or delayed at least until after the 2018 election. And in the 2018 election, you know, we're only one or two, depending upon how you count it, seat shy, we the Democrats, of getting a majority in the Senate. If we can win back a majority in the Senate in the 2018 election, that will make it a lot harder for Trump to do anything. And then in 2020, we can vote him out of office altogether. But th those are steep climbs. All three of those things are steep climbs. And, you know, as I said before, I think it's a very perilous thing to underestimate Trump. He, yes, he appears clownish. Yes, he seems clueless. He sometimes seems like a blithering idiot, but he's not. You know, he, he has a, a cunning, and, uh, you know, he, uh, he is able to uh, say things that galvanize, you know, some Americans, and he's able to, so far, he's been able to keep the Republicans uh, in line in, in both houses of Congress. If, if, if the Democrats can break that in the Senate and, and stop this uh, nominee from, from being confirmed and then follow that by winning back the Senate in 2018, that's the path towards getting this country back on a good direction. Should the Democrats embrace the far left, or they've been center corporatist, and there's been a little bit of a schism in the Democratic Party, um, do the far left Democrats have the momentum to, 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 to pull the party in that direction, you know, or do we need to go further and further to the middle and to the right? No, we definitely have to embrace the far left. And again, I can't remember her name, but the woman who won surprisingly yes, in that yes, Brooklyn. Amazing, amazing victory. Yes, amazing victory. I love that. I love stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I want to see that happen all over the place. And to tell you the truth, uh, I've been disappointed in Chuck Schumer uh, for a long time. Oh, join the club. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I want to see these middle-of-the-road Democrats... Uh, go off to a nice, uh, peaceful retirement and, and, and get some, uh, you know, people who are really willing to fight uh, and, you know, see what the best progressive paths are. I think that's the, the, the path to victory. Paul, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this, this has been fantastic, and, and I'm so glad uh, uh, to have seen you at the ReaderCon Science Fiction Convention this past weekend. 
I know you have another interview to do coming up at one thirty, and you probably would like to get a drink of water, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and relax a little bit. Um, but I just want to let you know from the bottom of my heart, it's, uh, it's I'm so grateful uh, to be able to make this contact with you and and have you on the air here at WUSB Stony Brook. And I would love to call on you again in the future when I have such an opportunity um, uh, during these fill-ins or, or possibly even during one of my music shows. So um, I hope you enjoyed yourself here on our airwaves and, and enjoyed talking to all the wonderful people on the Long Island Expressway <laughs> who I, are listening. I, I had a wonderful time and call on me anytime. I'll always say yes, and I don't need much notice. Well, so. that was that was absolutely brilliant. And uh, before before we say goodbye, my friend, um, and, and, and seriously, we could we could go on through two o'clock. I feel like we could just keep going. Um, I would love for you to talk up. Today is just like you by Paul Levinson from the album Twice Upon a Rhyme, nineteen seventy two. So, would you please talk that up, and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, well, I was over uh, my then girlfriend's uh, house since uh, 1976, uh, my wife, and uh, this was like in the late 60s. I got up one morning. She, it was actually her parents' house. Fortunately, her parents weren't uh, home. They were away that weekend. Uh-oh. Uh, so I, I got up one morning, and I was like really inspired, and I sat down on the piano and wrote this song. And, you know, what songwriters will tell you, sometimes you can work for years on a song, Sometimes you, you sit down and you can literally write it in like 10 minutes. And that's what happened with uh, Today's Just Like You. And, you know, I, I'm known primarily as a lyricist uh, because anytime you see my name on a, on a record, uh, you know I wrote the lyrics. But I've also written some music, and Today's Just Like You is an example of me writing uh, both lyrics and music. So I hope your listeners enjoy it. And thank you again so much, Paul. Uh, Paul Evans and everybody, please look him up on Amazon, The Silk Code, uh, grab his grab his books, um, his music, and Fordham uh, University, and also Paul Levinson's Infinite uh, Regress to read more uh, if you like this. Or if you disagree, I, I'm sure Paul would love to argue with you. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Because <laughs> um, this is a free country and everyone's entitled. Well, let's do the Harlan Ellison quote, Paul. The, the late, great Harlan Ellison's. Everyone is not entitled to their own opinion. Everyone's entitled to their informed opinion. <laughs> yeah. Correct? Absolutely. <laughs> I would go further than that. I don't care if it's uninformed. Sometimes it can be uninformed and still correct. <laughs> You know, serendipity. <laughs> Thank you so much, my friend. So glad you have a Thanks. safe trip, and and um, and uh, I will definitely. We talked about um, the readings you did at uh, ReaderCon and and whatnot. I will definitely be in touch about that, and of course, I will also uh, get you an MP3 of this remarkably, stunningly, and brilliant performance and appearance here on Progressive Solutions on WUSB Stony Brook. Thank you again, Paul. Thanks so much, Phil. Take care. Take care, my friend. Bye bye. Today the sky is blue You know your eyes are too Today you're just like you
Paul Levinson. Today's just like you, and uh, I loved it. It's really, really great. Uh, you're listening to WSB Stony Brook. Progressive Solutions. We've got about um, 40 minutes left here. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I did talking in it. And I promise, I know famous last words, I'll be back here soon with another podcast episode of Light On, Light Through. In the meantime, as I always say, enjoy. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson spilled code about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 